Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your hearts give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And then, banish anxiety from your hearts and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the streets are closed and the sounds of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond trees blossom and the grasshopper drags itself along and desires no longer is stirred, then people will go to their eternal home and mourners will go in about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bow is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise were like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is God's word. Our long journey through the book of Ecclesiastes is coming to an end. And I know that there are differing reactions in the congregation. Some of you have thought that our long journey has been like my boat trip down the Li River in China. That beautiful river where the mountains rise up out of the water and you see things that are so beautiful. You wonder, are you even on this planet? And you're thinking, what a great series. It's been so amazingly Helpful, And some of you really don't want this series to end, but then there are others of you who see our journey through Ecclesiastes as being like most people's journey on a cruise ship. You end up getting sick, the Norwalk virus. You started out and it was great. You end up and you're puking yourself silly because 
you've gotten depressed, what you thought you were going to get you didn't quite get, and you're asking yourself, why did I do it in the first place? Well, the reason why we uh, went through this journey is because it's the Word of God. And though it's difficult, it's challenging, there have been things that have been hard to understand. Some things still I don't quite understand, and you're scratching your head, and I'm scratching my head, wondering exactly what did it mean. Well, let me stop at this point and, and review where have we been on this journey, regardless of what your reaction is. We've gone through life. We've gone through life from cradle to the grave. We've seen life from the perspective of an unborn child, and we've seen life from the perspective of a person who's about to die, and even from a person who's in the grave. And as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, we've looked at life from differing perspectives. We've looked at life and said, it is what it is, regardless of whether or not it's right or wrong. We've looked at life from the standpoint of wisdom, and we've seen this is a proverb. This is something that I can help live my life by. And I've gotten strength from it, and you've gotten strength from it. We've come through Ecclesiastes, and we've seen these are things that just shouldn't be, and yet they are. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen one phrase that comes up time and time and time again, even came up in the reading that we just had this morning. What is that phrase? You say it. Ready? Again. And what's the second part? All is meaningless. Okay, let's try it again. Ready? Go. Now say it again. Okay. And that is permeated throughout the entire book. So I ask you as we close this message and this series that we've been spending weeks going through, why is your life meaningless? Why, from the Scripture's perspective, does it say that this life that you live in right now is meaningless? And the answer to that question is because you will die. Every single one of you here today will die. It took two weeks ago to wake up a lot of people's uh, mind and attention to the fact that they too will die. Maybe suddenly, the hands of a shooter, maybe in a car accident, maybe from a sickness or an illness. But the entire life that you live is viewed from the perspective of death throughout Ecclesiastes. And because of death, the writer to Ecclesiastes constantly says, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. What does it matter what your accomplishments are? What does it matter how many degrees you have? What does it matter what college you get into? What does it matter what your grade was? If you're going to die. Nobody's caring about your grades when you're in the grave and you won't be <coughs> caring, caring about your grades either. When you die, not only will most of what you've done be forgotten, maybe even you will be forgotten. But not only that, the book of Ecclesiastes has told us that all those possessions that you worked so hard to amass and have in your house so you can have a bigger house, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be given to someone else when you die. And that's the reason why the author constantly says, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Because as he writes the book, he writes the book from the perspective of mortality and humanity and brokenness and the world as we see it, as it is, full of sin, things messed up, rulers doing things they shouldn't do, 
unfair things happening to God's people. And in the midst of, of it all, this constant refrain comes out from the author, meaningless, 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 meaningless. And you know what? Because he does that, there is a temptation that comes to each one of us when we read this book. And what the temptation is, is this. If this is what the perspective is on life that we should have, that all is meaningless, then what does it matter what I do in my life right now? If I'm just going to die, then does it all matter at all? So I can like slough off and it doesn't matter what my grades are. Doesn't matter how I treat people. Doesn't matter how I try and use my wealth. Doesn't matter whether I go to the house of God to worship or, or to pray. That none of it really matters because I'm just going to die anyway. And that is the temptation of how we've been reading the book of Ecclesiastes. That you'll end up stuck in the midst of that temptation. But brothers and sisters, as we come to the end of this book, that is a temptation that I want you to get out of as you see what we're coming to in our message today. If you take out your outline, you'll see it in the bulletin. If you go through it and count up everything, you'll see basically as we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, we don't end up saying that your life doesn't matter. We don't end up there. And we don't end up thinking that there's nothing that you need to learn about how to live your life. No, rather, on the contrary, we end this book and I end this series and I end this message with five commands that tell you how it is you should be living your life and one observation which is true about life. So basically, we have one truth. It is what it is. But then we have five specific separate commands that are to help us as we conclude this book and go away from it with what does God want me to learn? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to believe? How should I live my life? Notice the first thing. It comes from verse 7. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. As we come to the to the end of this book, you need to realize that God wants you to enjoy your life. Enjoy it. Uh, let me ask some of you, anybody willing to come up and, and share with us, how do you enjoy your life? What do you enjoy in your life? Come on up. Let's have two or three people come on up here and, and share. What do you enjoy about your life? I know some of you have enjoyment in your life. Come up. Come on up. Come on up. You might want to share a hobby. You might want to share something that gives you... Come on up. Got one, two. Let's have one more. Somebody from the back want to come up? Anybody from the back? Let's have three people. Share your name and then share what you enjoy. Juju. What's up? Or Juju. Um, I love dancing and I love drinking tea. Oh, I, I missed that. Can you say that again a little bit louder? Oh, I love dancing and I love drinking tea. Okay. Dancing and drinking tea. Not at the same time. <laughs> My name is Ryan and I enjoy everything about life. You enjoy everything about life? Wow, that's awesome. Okay, you don't need the message. You can um, go get it. Uh, you can go sit in the back and pray for the rest of us. But um, here we go. My name is Samuel Carpenter and I'll enjoy Pokemon cards and everything about Pokemon. And how would you feel if you didn't have Pokemon cards? Well, if I didn't know about them, I didn't really, I won't really care, but if I did know about them... You do know about them. Yeah, I know. But if I didn't have them, then... 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 What is life? Okay. <laughs> then, uh, then, <laughs> then, okay. Life could be a little bit harder. Okay, okay, all right. 
And I'm sure there are many of you out there thinking that without Pokemon cards, my life would be a little bit harder. Okay. So God wants you to enjoy your life. And let me show you how I enjoy my life. Um, you've already seen something that you weren't supposed to see earlier. But um, Kyle, let's add the first slide. Hopefully these are in order now. Here we go. How does Pastor Tim enjoy life? I enjoy my life snorkeling. Here I am in Raja Ampat, one of the most remote places in the world. The number one diving and snorkeling destination in the world. And I finally got there when I lived in Indonesia. Next slide. How does Pastor Tim enjoy his life? Well, here's Snorkel Bob underwater um, right next to a whale shark. I don't know how well you can see it, but that's a whale shark um, that later on got a little bit too friendly and pushed me into the side of the boat. Okay, down boy. You know, I I like you too. Um, It was an interesting experience in the Philippines. Next, how does Pastor Tim enjoy his life? Well, here we go. I... Used to enjoy my life when I lived in Indonesia with my monitor lizard, Como D-Dragon. Um, and Como was definitely one of my best friends that I've ever had in my life. Each day, I'd come home from school, sit in a chair. Com- Como would come up, sit on, my, um, sit on my chest. We'd have a conversation. How many mousies did you eat today, Como? And in case you didn't know it, monitor lizards can count to six. And so he'd, he'd give me the sign of one, two, three, four, five. He ate somewhere between three and five mousies. And we'd have a conversation about his day. Awesome creatures. Next. <clears throat> uh, and then I got a chance to travel. This is Pastor Tim at the island of Komodo. And I took everything that I learned about how to tame a savanna monitor lizard. I put it in practice on the island of Komodo. And I sat down in the middle of a pod of wild Komodos that uh, the week before I came had bitten two tourists and they helicoptered them out of the island of Komodo. They almost died. And here they are sitting next to me and I'm sitting next to them and we're having a good time together. So that's how Pastor Tim enjoys his life. So you can kill the slide. And let me ask you a question though. Why is it that people don't enjoy their lives? And the answer to that question is very simple. You live in the middle of two differing realities, both of which are unpleasant for those of you who are not enjoying your life. The first reality that you're living in the middle of, which is unpleasant, is you're living with constant focus on the regrets that you have from the past. Every single one of you out here today, you've got something that you wish in the past wouldn't have happened. Maybe you you could have done something about it, but you didn't. And now you're living with the consequences of it. And so you look at your life and you say, I got a lot of regrets. And sometimes those regrets really bother you. You screwed up big time. You messed up. You made your parents mad. You dishonored God. You did something really, really bad. And that awareness and that memory is constantly before your mind and it takes away your enjoyment of right now. The other thing that people live with, in addition to regrets from the past, that keeps them from enjoying um, where they're at right now in their lives, is they have fear of the future. Now, how many of you honestly are afraid of the future because you don't know what will happen? We have got honest people in the front, okay? Honest people in the front, in the middle, few honest people in the back, many sleeping people in the back. Wake up, go to Starbucks, come back. Um, But the point I'm trying to make is, is that There's something about the future which is unknown that causes a lot of us to fear. Some of you fear, I'm not going to get married in the future. 
Some of you fear, I'm not going to go to the school I want to go to. Some of you fear, I'll get sick. Some of you fear, I'm going to have a car accident. Some of you fear, I'm not going to have enough money to do what I wanted to do. Some of you fear April 15th because tax season is upon us, don't we all? Um, but the point is, is there's something about our focus on the future and what might happen that we don't want to happen that kills our enjoyment of life today. Now, notice something about the passage. It doesn't talk about the activities that we're supposed to join. Notice what it says. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. So here we're not talking about what particular things we like doing from Pokemon cards to swimming with whale sharks. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that every single one of our days and every single one of our years should be full of enjoyment no matter what time it is, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. And that's the perspective that we're supposed to have when going through life and going through this passage. Amazing. I remember when I was at the Eastman School of Music studying with my trumpet teacher, Charlie Geyer. He had sat second in the Chicago Symphony for uh, 12 years, and he had sat, actually eight years, he had sat in the second chair next to Bud Herseth, who was the greatest orchestral trumpet player ever to live. And I got a chance to take one lesson with Bud Herseth before he died. It wasn't a very good lesson. He basically just played stuff and said, imitate me. And it really didn't help me very much. But Herseth was known for his accuracy and the fact that he very rarely, if at all, missed any notes. And I thought this, is, this was very strange because any of you who have ever played an instrument know what happens uh, if you miss a note. If you miss a note and you're in a performance, then you think about it, you start getting nervous, and then what happens after that? You miss more notes, right? Um, and that happens because you're fearing the future and what might happen in the performance because of what has happened in the past that you then regret, getting back to the regrets and the fear thing. So what my teacher told me was something about Bud Herseth that has stuck with me and has really helped me when I think about how to live out this passage. He said this. He said that one time on, public, uh, on a national public uh, broadcast that they have on PBS, the Chicago Symphony Live was doing pictures at an exhibition which starts with an opening promenade and it's a trumpet solo and it's very famous and every trumpet player who's had to take an audition knows it. And Herseth is the only person in the orchestra in the Chicago Symphony playing and it's supposed to go like this. Bum, 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 ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. Here's what he did. Bum, 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 bum. Very interesting. So, his first valve stuck and it sounded like a squeaking chicken. So, at the end of the concert, Charlie, who's sitting second to the man who never messes up, was sort of like, ha, ha, ha. So he turns to Bud Herseth and he goes, hey, Bud, like, you messed up the promenade. And he looked at Charlie and said, what are you talking about? He's like, you messed up the tr- promenade. You know, da, 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 ah! you know, He's like, that's what you did. And he's like, Herseth looked at Charlie and he said, no, I didn't. He's like, yes, you did. You did it twice. You cracked the F. He's like, no, I didn't. And Charlie said he learned something 
from that moment on that helped his playing tremendously that he wanted to pass on to me. He learned the fact that Herseth had immediately disciplined himself to forget his mistake so that he would live in the moment of the performance. No, seriously, he pulled a Jedi mind trick, you know, in the middle of his performance. And I've thought about that, you know, and, and imagine what would have happened in the Patriots game. if uh, No, somebody would have. Uh, no, I'm not even going there, but, but you see my point. My point is, is that you've got to enjoy your life by living in the moment. Live for today. Live for the year that you're in and enjoy all your days. That's what God wants you to do. But notice... Something strange, something that seems like it's contradictory, something that doesn't really seem to make sense, you might think. You're supposed to enjoy your days, your years, every one of them, every moment. But then let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Not only are you supposed to enjoy your life, you're supposed to contemplate your death. You're supposed to think about it. You're supposed to live in light of it. You're supposed to constantly be meditating on it. Now, why don't you do that? Uh, I doubt that any of you this morning got up this morning and thought about your death. Raise your hand if you got up this morning and thought, I'm going to die. Okay, how many of you? You're, you're, moving your, you're, you're moving your hair. Okay, that wasn't a hand. There's someone else. Um, I feel like a deer in headlights. You know, I got the, the bright light right on me. I can't see. I don't even know um, how many people are here today. But anybody raise their hand? Anybody thought about their death when you got up this morning? No, not a single one of you did it. Don't you see you're not living in light of Ecclesiastes? Because you're not just supposed to be enjoying your wonderful life. And I'm sure many of you have enjoyed your life. You got your Starbucks coffee, okay? You went to Sunday school. You're enjoying it, okay? It's, great. it's a great day. Um, but nobody thought about contemplating your death. Remembering the days of darkness that will be many. Why do we not think about our death? Part of the reason why we don't think about our death is because it's depressing people, isn't it? You know, that, that all this wisdom, the reason why I want to write books now at age 56 is because I know I'm going to die and I have so much to say. So many fun stories to tell you all about, about my journeys to Indonesia, China, Hong Kong, all these places I've been to. So much I want to share with aspiring pastors and pastor wannabes and missionary wannabes about what I've learned in my 25 years of living outside of this country. And to think about the fact that one day I'm going to die and I might not have finished all my books, that's depressing. So we avoid death. We don't contemplate it, even though we're supposed to. If you're coming from a Chinese background, part of the reason why you don't think about death is because there's a superstition that says, don't talk about it, don't mention it. The word in Chinese is si, and the number four is si. So don't ever live on silo, the fourth floor, because if you do, then, you know, stranger things might happen. So in Taiwan, if you go to every single hospital in Taiwan and you get in the elevator and you want to go up to visit somebody, you'll see that the floor goes like this. One, two, three, five, six, seven, eight. And so they trick you into thinking there's no fourth floor because they rename the fourth floor the fifth floor because nobody wants to be stuck in a ward on the fourth floor. Now, do they? It's very strange. Um, <clears throat> when I meet foreigners in Taiwan, my address, and I, uh, let me just share a, a bit in Chinese. I've got to give you my address in Chinese. My address was Tai Shun Jie Liu Shi Xiang Shi Jiu Hao. 
Sulo. Okay, and the last part of it, that, that, that's the killer. Sulo, fourth floor. So I said that so many times, you know, to people who'd ask me, what's your address? What's your address? And when I'd meet a foreigner, it didn't matter what the beginning part was. I knew what the end was always going to be. It was always Sulo. Every single foreigner that I knew in Taiwan from 1992 to 1998 uh, said that they lived on the fourth floor. Why? No, Chinese people wanted to live on the fourth floor, so they rented out. The, the rent's cheaper. Everybody goes away happy. The foreigner's not superstitious. You get a break on your rent, and then the person's rented out their house, and they don't have to live in it, thank God. Um, so they give it to the poor foreigner. Okay, so... What's my point? It's so bad, even in Taiwan, that I have known people. I knew the mother of a woman in our church in, in Taipei who, she had cancer. She was dying of cancer and nobody even told her that she was about to die. So she's in the hospital, she's being treated, and she never talks to her family members about what it is she's being treated for. Because you don't talk about your death. Brothers and sisters, against many of your wills, but in faithfulness to the text of Scripture, many times throughout the past several weeks, I've talked about your death, and even today I'm reminding you to not only enjoy your life, but contemplate your death, and do those two things together. And you might think that's impossible. Why does the Scripture say, do both, enjoy your life, but contemplate your death? How can I enjoy my life if I'm contemplating my death? Well, here's the point. The writer to Ecclesiastes wants you to live your life in light of your death so that you will live it to the fullest. And if you were thinking about the fact that the days are going to come where there's going to be many, many days of darkness, which is a pictorial way of saying you're going to die, and the days that you're dead are going to be more than the days that you were here on earth. If you live your life that way, with that awareness right now, you will make the most of every moment and opportunity. <clears throat> Now notice that there's a, there's a second point on my outline. The third command. First is enjoy your life. Second is contemplate your death. The third command and the second point on my outline is that we must remember, you should remember your creator when you are young. That's basically what we have from verses 9 through chapter 12, verse 7. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. So what's happening here is the author is showing us that while you're young, life is good, your health is good, everything's basically good, so you think. Uh, but the days are coming, what's known as the days of trouble, when you don't enjoy them. And then he gives this long description that goes from verse 2 all the way into uh, verse 7. And what he's talking about in verses 2 through, through 7, all these pictures that he's talking about, he's talking about the time when you get old, the time when your eyes get worse and your ears don't quite hear and you can't quite know what's going on outside. And so you're trying to look through the window and you can't really see and your grinders are few, which is a way of saying 
your teeth fall out. That's what happens when you get old and when you get older. And so, in all these picturesque ways, we're told to remember your Creator before you get old. Remember your Creator when you're young, right now. And this is so interesting because you know what I find out? I find that many people don't remember their Creator until they're just about dead. And then they think, oh, I'm human. I'm mortal. I'm going to die. Maybe now I need to accept Jesus. This morning I got a call on my cell phone as I was driving up to church this morning. And it was Pastor Bowman. And Pastor Bowman shared with me, he said, Tim, pray for me today and share this with the congregation. So I'm sharing it with you right now. He said, pray with me because my aunt is dying of cancer. And today she's asked me to come visit her and share with her and baptize her. Isn't it wonderful that she called Pastor Bowman and wanted him to come share and share the gospel and then baptize her? But isn't it sad that she waited until she was on her deathbed to do it? That's the way so many people are today. That's the way so many of you are here today. You think I'm young. I got time. I'll accept Jesus later. But no, the Bible says remember your Creator now while you're young, while you have vigor, while you have energy. While your life is full of enjoyment. I really respect my wife, Evie's father, who was my father-in-law, Charles Adams, because of how he lived his life and how he appropriately prepared for his death. So when he finally did uh, pass away, he had all of his affairs in order. He had moved out of his big house. He had a file with all the instructions on, on what to do. So it made things very, very easy. But he was thinking about that for 10 years before he died. And then he got everything right, right in order. He was thinking about it. Why? Because he was past 70 years old. So I ask all of you who are here today, are you thinking about it and are you prepared right now when you are young? So that right now you're living your life with regards to meeting your creator, honoring your creator and living in his presence in this moment now. Don't make the mistake that so many people do. Wait until the end. No, live for the Lord now. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Notice that there's something else that is is cast upon us in the passage. And that comes from verses 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 12. Let's read those and then let's talk about it. This is the conclusion of the book. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered. And searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end and much study wearies the body. Those last words that I just read, I bet that's the one verse in Ecclesiastes that so many of you most relate to. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. If you believe that, say amen. Ready? Amen. Yeah, you've been there, done that. Um, Thank God I'm not in school again. But I remember those days when much study wearied the body. So what's the point? What's the takeaway? Look at my outline point. As we summarize these three verses, we can see that knowledge in the many books of which there is no end. So that studying, studying, studying 
leads to weariness in the body. Knowledge is limitless. We live in an age today of limitless knowledge in your fingertips. Could you imagine what the Apostle Paul would have done with a Samsung S8 Plus? Imagine. Or an iPhone. I've got to give equal time. iPhone, Samsung, iPhone, Samsung. Um, imagine what he could have done if he could have just gone into the Internet, looked up something. No, we live in a, in a time where knowledge is so limitless that it's more wearisome than ever. And that's why it is that we need to realize something. There's always more knowledge to be learned. But God's word is fixed and knowable. The words of the wise are like goads. All these collected sayings, everything we have in here, this is the word of God. And then verse 12 says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Other verses say, be warned, my son, of adding to them. The point is, is that the word of God, which we have, is enough to teach us all that we need for life and godliness, Peter says in Second Peter. And so you don't need to know everything on the Internet in order to know what's important to how to live your life. Right now, knowledge is limitless, but God's word is fixed and knowable. And that leads to our last point that we find at the end. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. For you will be judged. You know, this whole word fear, I know that especially in the 19th century when preachers were preaching and preaching the gospel, they tried to scare people into becoming Christians by talking about hell and damnation and fire and brimstone and things like that. Jesus speaks more of hell than he does of heaven. And that's the way that many preachers, uh, they focus on that message in order to scare people into accepting Christ. But when... When the writer here says, fear God, he's not talking about that perspective of a 19th century evangelical preacher. What he's talking about is respect God. Change that word from fear to respect and honor. And you begin to get that the focus here is when you live your life in in the fear of God, you live it to please God. This is the same thought that Paul picks up in 2 Corinthians when he talks about, um, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men to believe in Jesus and to accept the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And in this context, and in that context in 2 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the judgment as well, and he mentions that the judgment will be individual and universal, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He lets us know that everyone is going to be judged for everything through Jesus who lived and died and rose on our behalf. So, brothers and sisters, when we think of what it means to fear God and keep his commandments, we don't think that this is some impossible standard that we must rise to in order to enter into a relationship with God. We think about this from the perspective of those who know that death is not something that we need to fear And God is the one whom we can have a relationship with because of what Christ has done for us. We view what the author said in Ecclesiastes from the perspective of Jesus Christ, 
the cross and the resurrection looking backward. So now when we think of fearing God, we think of living in relationship to Him, to honor Him, to love Him. And the judgment for us becomes a judgment where we are rewarded for what we've done through His strength, in His name, unto His glory. And so it reverses the whole way we think about our lives, to live our lives in light of the God who wants to have a relationship with us, who's shown us what wisdom is and how to please him through all the Proverbs we've gone through in this book and who tells us right now, every single one of us, don't live in fear of the future, even the judgment. Live right now in the enjoyment of your life because of the Savior in whose life you live and move and breathe and have your being because he loves you, he died for you, and he cares for you. Let's pray together.